If you turn with me in your Bibles today, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. If, if you're not turning with me, that's fine. We'll have it up on the screen behind me. Um, I'm going to switch back and forth between two translations today. So if it's easier for you to just follow on the screen, perfectly fine. That's cool. I do encourage you to take some notes, though. Um, I'm going to preach about a story today that I've never preached about. I don't even think I've ever... No, in fact, I know. I've never even referenced this in a message before. It's kind of a weird story. So uh, you may may not have ever even heard it. But I feel like God showed me some stuff in this story. And when I read it this week, it just hit me. And I felt like God was speaking some stuff through this story. So, so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, but I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes today about your eye. About your eye. And I want to talk to you about your priorities. Like, what, what is it that's important to you? What is it that you're fighting for? It's probably something. You're either fighting for something or you're fighting to not do something or to be involved in something or not to be involved in something. But what are your priorities? I can look at the way you spend your time. I can look at where you pour out your passion. I can look at where your money goes and I could see your priorities, but it wouldn't do any good for me to see your priorities. I want you to think about what your priorities are. What are you spending your life on? You know, we're one and a half months into 2020 already. Like it's already gone. 20, 2022. See that? Look, I'm still way behind. 2022. <laughs> we're already one and a half months into 2022. Oh, I was like two years off. Dang. See what I mean? Time flies. <laughs> Has it been a rough year for you? It's only a month and a half in, but I'd say, in fact, I know some of you have already had a pretty rough year. Some of you have already had some pretty tough things happen. I have, and I know probably most of you have only in this short amount of time. So how are you doing? How are you handling the things that are coming your way? Today I want to give you three stays. I'm going to give you three stays for when things are good. You can use these things for when you're on the mountaintop and when everything's going right and when you're healthy and your bills are paid and, and your kids are all acting right. So you just now thought, well, I'll never use those three things. <laughs> you can use them when things are good, but you can use these three stays when things are really bad. When you're at the bottom of all those things I just said are all going crazy at the same time. You can use these three stays. You can use these three stays on the mountain or in the valley. But I must warn you. It's a lot harder in the valley. It's a lot harder to use these three points I'm going to give you in the middle of a storm. It's a whole lot harder to use these three things when you're in the middle of a full-blown depression. It's a whole lot harder to use these three things when you're feeling pain. Physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. There's all kinds of pain.
But you can use these three things, whether life is good or life is bad. You can use these three things when when the enemy that you've let rule your life is screaming and yelling at you. Have you been in a hard place this year? Probably. I, I read um, this person was telling the story and they said that things were just going really bad and it was the worst year they'd ever had. And they, without going into all the stuff, they were just having a really rough, rough time, hard year. And she got a text message and the text message said it was from a number that she didn't have stored, which wasn't surprising because in all the hard times she had lost her cell phone. So she didn't have hardly anybody's numbers stored. So it came through as a, um, just like an unknown number. And the text said, I'm here for you. And she said she kind of broke and was like, oh, man. Like, I don't even know who sent that, but I needed it so bad. Like, life is just so hard right now. And so she sent back thanks with a bunch of cry face emojis. It's been really hard. My life is completely falling apart. And, and I, up until this moment, felt like no one cared. She writes this big, long text. And then she says, um, I'm sorry. I lost all my contacts um, with when I lost my phone. So who is this? And there's like nothing for a few minutes. And then a text comes back. The Uber driver. I'm here for you. Like, do you have people in your life that you can lean on? Like when things fall apart, do you have relationships? Do you have connections? Are, are there people or do you not have anybody? Is there no one you can turn to to help you through? Like, it's going to be a really hard life if you don't have relationships. Now, relationships are hard. But, you know, like we've said around here a lot, Jesse likes to say, you get to choose your hard. Yeah, relationships are hard, but you know what's harder? Doing life without relationships. You get to choose your hard. So do you have people that you can lean on when life gets hard? Or do you just fall apart? You know when, when life gets hard, you can fall apart or you can build. You can consume or you can create. So do you fall apart or do you build? Do you get stronger when the weight's piled on you, or does it break you? Do you get weaker? So the three stays that I was going to give you, the first one that I feel like we're supposed to do and be and look like as a community and as a church and as Christians, and, and this is going to make more sense as we go on and as we read the story, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the first one right off the bat, and it is stay active. We're supposed to stay active. We're supposed to keep moving forward. We're not supposed to be stuck in the past. We're not supposed to be stuck looking backwards. We're, we're, James talks about it all through the book of James. Jesus' is his little brother talking about, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm going to keep doing. Like As Christians, if we believe what we read in this word and, and we believe what we stand up here and preach and we sing about, we learn that this gospel is activated by serving. It's activated by giving. 
it's activated and animated by the love of God. And that we have to stay active. We have to keep moving. We have to, we keep giving even when we don't see results. We keep serving even when the person we're serving spits in our face and isn't grateful for all of our service. Like, we stay active. As Jesus followers and as Christians and as the people that we want to be, that's the first one. We, we're going to stay active. We're going to keep doing the right thing even if the circumstances are falling apart. We're going to stay active. Keep serving. Keep giving. Don't let your guard down. Stay in the fight. Because as long as you're in the fight, you can win. Don't give up your freedom. So now, I want to look at an odd story. It's about some of God's people who were ready to give up their freedom. They were ready to just throw in the towel and become slaves. Which seems kind of crazy. If you just say it that way, like, okay, fine, I'm ready to become a slave for the rest of my life. We would think that's kind of crazy, but... We choose it in some areas. We choose to be slaves to all kind of things. Jesus and Paul and Peter, they all wrote in your Bible about how anyone who chooses sin becomes a slave to that sin. At first you choose it, and then you realize at some point along the way you no longer have a choice. And we become a slave to that. So let's look at some of God's people that were ready to become, become slaves. Um, if you were to read the chapter before this in 1 Samuel 10, 27, you'll see that God has anointed Samuel to be the king of Israel over all of his people. God said, this is the king, and the people didn't accept him as the king yet. They cried out and whined and complained because they wanted a king like other nations, and they were people were coming up and beating them up and stealing their stuff, and we want a king. So God said, okay, fine, here's Samuel. He's going to be your king, and He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's strong and he can lead y'all. And he's, and they're like, oh, we don't accept him. First Samuel 10, 27, it tells us that they did not trust a mere farmer like Saul to save them. After they cried out to God, God, give us a king. And God said, all right, here's a king. He can save y'all. And then they're like, ah, that's just a farmer. Well, we don't trust him. Try again. So here's what happens right after that. So Nahash, it's a good name if anybody's thinking of a name for a baby. And in case you're considering that name, Nahash, the meaning of it is serpent, snake, or um, they got the word um, that we get the word devil or deceptive one from, stuff like that. So good name, great name. The serpent or the snake is the, the main meaning of the name. So Nahash went after them and prepared to go to war against Jabesh Gilead. The men of Jabesh petitioned Nahash, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. Hey, make a deal with us. King James says, make a covenant with us and, and we'll serve you for the rest of our lives. We'll be your servants. We'll be your slaves. There's a first mistake right there. Trying to make a deal with the enemy. That's never a good idea. Especially when the thing you're bargaining with is your freedom. 
It's not something to play with. That's what they're doing. They're like, hey, make a deal with us and, and we'll serve you. And Nahash said, I'll make a treaty with you on one condition. There's just one thing that I want. That every right eye among you be gouged out. I'll humiliate every last man and woman in Israel before I'm done. That's a weird request. Right? They're coming to him and, and these there are 7,000 men have escaped from captivity and they've come back to this town and they found out that this king Nahash has been bullying the whole town but they know they can't beat him or his army. So they're just ready to become slaves and say all these 7,000 men plus all the rest of the women and kids and other men that are in the town, they're all like, all right, we'll just be your servants. And Nahash said, all right, on one condition, I'll let all y'all live, I'll let you keep your town, and I'll let you be my slaves and my servants, but I want to gouge out every one of your right eyeballs. All the women, all the men, all the kids. Just get in a big line and I'll poke out your eyeball. How weird. Kind of gruesome. Imagine that. A whole entire town. Everybody in the town. Oh, where are you from? Oh, never mind. I know. Know exactly where you're from. The town leaders of Jabesh said, now what I'm thinking is they say, heck no. We fight. You're not stabbing out mine, my wife, my kids' eyeballs. Look what they said. Give us time to send messengers around Israel. Seven days should do. That'd be fine. And if no one shows up to help us, we'll accept your terms. What? They're like, hey, just give us about seven days and we'll ask all our, our buddies and, you know, our brothers and sisters and this new King Saul, whatever, the farmer, and, and if they'll come help us, cool. And if not, we'll accept the deal. Let us live, stab out our eyeballs. Good deal. You know, there are people in your life that will help you, that want to help you, but you have to ask. See, up to this point, all these people, they hadn't asked. These people from Jabesh Gilead, they didn't ask. So Saul and none of the other tribes of Israel, and none of, they didn't know how bad things were. The messengers came to Saul's place at Gibba and told the people, what was going on. Now as the people broke out in loud wails, Saul showed up. And he was coming back from the field with his oxen. And Saul asked, what happened? Why is everyone crying? And they repeated the message that had come from Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came on Saul when he heard the report. And he flew into a rage. He grabbed the yoke of oxen and he butchered them on the spot. Ah, just starts chopping them up. Psycho. But wait, we just read, that was the Spirit of God came on him, and he went into a godly rage and just started chopping up his oxen. Ah. Told y'all this was a weird story. 
and he sent the messengers throughout Israel, distributing the bloody pieces. With this message, anyone who refuses to join up with Saul and Samuel, let this be the fate of his oxen. Dude chopped up the oxen in little bitty pieces and starts handing little bloody pieces of an ox to messengers and said, take it to everybody in all of Israel and you tell them anybody that refuses to join up with us, that's what's going to happen to their oxen. Slick plan there. So oxen in their day were super valuable. Oxen represented strength but it also represented your finances. They pulled your cart, they pulled your wagon, they pulled your plow to plant crops. It was how you made money. It was how you grew food to feed your family. So what Saul is saying is anyone who hears that your brothers and sisters are in a fight that they cannot win, or that they're about to become slaves and you won't help, let it be directly reflected in your finances. Curses on all of your houses if you don't come and help us fight. They wanted help. They asked for help. And they were willing to fight for it too. All these people at Jabesh, they were willing to fight. They just needed help. So they asked for help and they were willing to fight for the help. I'm not saying go fight for everyone that's losing. Everyone that's in a losing battle. Everyone that's lost in their addiction. And everyone that's... Run, because that's a waste of time. But I'm saying they asked for help. And they were willing to fight for their freedom. They just couldn't do it on their own. And so Saul said, if your brother or sister's crying out, they need your help and they're ready to... They want help. They're ready to fight for their freedom and you won't help them let it be reflected in your finances let your oxen die because until they want it bad enough to ask for help and are willing to fight for their freedom they won't see the salvation of the king and the minute that you go back home they'll just become slaves again the terror of God seized the people. And they came out, one and all, not a laggard among them. That's good. I hope we don't have any laggards in our church. And Saul took command of the people at Bezek. And there were 300,000 men from Israel and another 30,000 from Judah. And Saul instructed the messengers... Tell this to the folk in Jabesh Gilead. Help is on the way. Expect it by noon tomorrow. 330,000 people are on the way. They'll be there by noon tomorrow. Imagine the relief that they must have felt. Just knowing like, okay, help's on the way. Our king and our people are coming. They care about it. They heard they see us. They heard that we're in pain and they're willing to come do something about it. They're going to fight for us. Imagine the feeling. Be there by noon tomorrow. And the messengers set straight off and they delivered their message. Elated 
The people of Jabesh-Gilead sent word to Nahash, the evil king. Tomorrow, we'll give ourselves up. You can deal with us on your terms. Now they're just playing. Okay, we'll just let you poke our eyes out tomorrow. We'll see you. We'll be over there about lunchtime tomorrow. And we'll become your slaves and you can stab out all our eyeballs. You deal with us on your terms. Long before dawn the next day, Saul had strategically placed his army in three groups. And at first light, they broke into the enemy camp. And they slaughtered Ammonites until noon. Those who were left ran for their lives, scattering every which way. And the people came to Saul, uh, the people came to Samuel then and said, Where are those men who said Saul is not fit to rule over us? Hand them over. We'll kill them too. What? Well, hold up. Now all of a sudden they're like, yeah, remember them people that said Saul wasn't a good king? Let's kill them too. Let's just start killing our own people too. Because they didn't believe in us. Yeah. Don't get too excited. But Saul said, nobody's going to be executed this day. This is the day God saved Israel. They were like, let's kill them because they were wrong. They didn't believe in your greatness, so they should be punished. It's time to address the haters. They were throwing shade on Paul. Saul. Excuse me. Not Paul. Saul said, no. This is a day to celebrate. Come, let's go to Gilgal. And there reconsecrate the kingship. And they all trooped out to Gilgal before God. And they crowned Saul king at Gilgal. And there they worshipped, sacrificing peace offerings. Saul and all of Israel celebrated magnificently. So they did three things there. After the great victory, after they all came together as one, right? they all came together as God's people and they helped each other fight for their freedom. And then they did three things. They worshiped. They made sacrifices of peace offerings. And they celebrated magnificently. They worshiped. And you know, sometimes peace is a sacrifice. Sometimes you make a sacrifice for peace. I love how they worshiped. They made sacrifices and they gave offerings. And then they celebrated. Celebrated what? The goodness of God, freedom, vision, like they didn't lose their right eyeballs. The whole, you know, however many thousand people were in Jabesh, the ability to fight. The fact that they had a king who would hear their cries and come to their rescue. This is what church should look like. They worshiped and they sacrificed and they celebrated. 
they came together and they were one. They won some battles and they found their freedom and they worshiped and they sacrificed. They found peace and they celebrated. This is what it should look like. So, so why the right eye? You know, I got to thinking like, what was the significance? Like, why did he want their right eyes specifically? Like not both eyes, not just any eye will do. He wanted the right eye. So if you do a little bit of digging and looking into it, it would have been considered like very embarrassing and a great deal of shame and stuff. But more than that, back in their day, if you think about the way that they would fight and most of their battles and stuff were fought with a shield in one hand, and your sword would have been in your dominant hand, which for almost everyone would have been right hand because they believed that it was an abomination or a sin to be left-handed. So even if you weren't, you might be fake it. So you got your sword in your dominant hand. You're holding your shield with your left hand. So the eye, what they called the fighting eye, was your right eye. It's how you fought in battle. Without your right eye, you couldn't see around that shield and you wouldn't last long at all in a battle. You couldn't defend yourself. You couldn't fight back. When somebody comes at you and you're holding the shield with your left hand, if you're trying to peek around it to see with your only one good left eye, and then you're going to get your head chopped off. The right eye was known as the fighting eye. So if they would conquer people or have like capture a great warrior from another nation they would gouge out his right eyeball because then he was no threat they could all beat him just one of their average warriors could beat him now because he lost his fighting eye he lost his dominant eye the eye that he would use to focus in a fight it's the same with with you like if you go shoot a gun I'm left-handed, so my dominant eye is my left eye. So when I shoot a gun, that's what I look down with. I can't see good with my right eye down the gun. It feels really awkward and weird. Probably for you, whatever is not your dominant eye, it probably feels really weird, and it's hard for you to focus with that eye. For most people, your dominant eye, you have a lot better vision. You can see better with your dominant eye. So for them, they thought... Pretty much everybody's dominant eye was their right eye, so we're going to gouge them out. We're going to take away their fighting eye. We're going to take away the threat. So you'll be our slaves, and we will take away your ability to fight back. From now on, even if you change your mind, it'll no longer be a choice, because right now, if you're able-bodied people, you could rise up and fight us. If we take all your right eyes, we got you. Jesus said in John 8, 34, there were multiple verses that I already referenced for this, so I'm not going to spend the time to flip all to them, but I'll tell you what Jesus said. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, this is the truth. I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of that sin. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. I don't have a problem. 
First of all, if you won't admit you have a problem, then you'll never be free from that problem. If you don't think it's a problem, you won't be free from it. But Jesus and Paul and Peter and multiple other places in the scripture tell us that if we keep choosing sin before long, it will become our master or we will become a slave to it. And when you become a slave to your sin, you start, you think I'm in control. Like that's how it always starts. That's how everybody thinks. And anybody that's got a problem started out like that. And I can quit whenever I want. That's not an issue for me. It's not a problem in my life. And it may not be. In fact, it's not a problem until it is a problem. And it's not when you first choose it. I can quit whenever I want. I'm choosing to get drunk tonight. I'm making a choice to look at pornography. I'm choosing to smoke. I'm choosing, and for you older people nowadays, smoke means weed, not cigarettes, if you didn't know that. <laughs> One of the joys of having teenagers, I get to them. I'm choosing this, and you do choose it. The first time, maybe the second, and the third, and this is freedom. This is how I can have peace. Just like those people that were willing to give up their freedom to have peace. Willing to give up their freedom so that they could live. Even willing to get their eyes gouged out. Oh, this is what's going to bring me peace. I know it's not that good for me, but it's going to calm me down. or what, Like whatever that thing. And you think you're choosing it, and you are, till you're not. And for some things, it just takes one time. Some things are so powerful, that you choose it one time, and it's got you. You choose it one time, and you can't beat it on your own. Like you're going to have to have some help. You're going to have to have some relationship. You're going to have to have a long-term program. You're going to have to have some all different things. But you deserve freedom. And you can have it. And you can walk in that. But you can't lose your fighting eye. We gotta stay active. Don't give up. Don't quit. How do you lose it? Like how'd they lose it? How do you lose your fighting eye? Maybe some of you feel like there's an area in your life where I feel like I've lost my fighting eye. I just can't win. I get whooped in that area every freaking time. This is how you lose it. Wrote down three ways you lose your fighting eye. It makes it very hard for you to win. 
We read this in the first part of that story. You make deals concerning your freedom. You start making deals. Oh, just this time or just that time. Oh, it's okay. And you, the line gets gray of what you will do and you won't do and how far you'll go and the things you'll say and, and you, you lose your convictions. You start making deals about what real freedom is. Oh, at least I'll be alive. At least we'll have peace and he'll quit bullying us. That's fine. I'll, be, I'll sign up to be a slave. You don't make deals with the enemy. And when I say the enemy, I feel like a lot of times in church and Christians, your mind just goes to the devil. Don't make a deal with the devil. But the word enemy, let me read you the meaning. A thing that harms or weakens something else. There's a lot of things that I have and do choose that harm or weaken me. Don't make me stronger. And, and I'm talking about physically, but I'm talking about spiritually too. There are a lot of things that I can choose in my life that will harm or weaken me. That I can make deals with. I can say, you know what? Ain't that bad. You know what? I'm tired. I can That's how you lose your fighting eye. You start making deals concerning your freedom with the enemy. With anything that weakens you or harms you, don't make deals with anything that harms or weakens you. Number two, here's how you lose it. You don't bring God in on your pain. When they were getting bullied and hurt, and if you go read the commentaries, it'll tell you that a lot of the people in that city already had their right eyes gouged out, and the reason this kind of came to a head was because these 7,000 men came back but if they didn't escape from captivity and show back up Nahash already pretty much had control of the whole city anyways that's why they were so scared he was already stabbing people's eyes out and they didn't ask Saul for help because they didn't even see him as a real king they didn't think he would help them or could help them they didn't ask the other tribes of Israel, their brothers and sisters, they didn't, they didn't ask anybody for help. They just kept toughing it out. I'm going to get through it. We're going to make it through this hard season. Well, you're not going to make it through this hard season if you don't do something to make it through the hard season. You don't just keep going through hard and not changing what you're doing, not reach out for help, not look for tools, not, not do something different this time and see if I get a different result. It was only when they brought the king in on their pain that something changed. That they got a taste of freedom that they hadn't tasted in a long time. How am I going to lose my fight now? Don't bring God in on your pain. Don't just settle. Don't just settle for things. Well, it's it's my lot in life, right? Oh, well, it's... I'm trying to pull up my notes here. But don't just settle. Bring God into your pain. Don't make excuses for brokenness. God wants to heal you. Just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. I know some of you have been through 
a lot. And it's not your fault. You didn't choose it. You didn't pick what family you were born into. You didn't pick what abuse you would suffer. You didn't pick how tall you are or what race you are. Whether you had money or not. None of that was your fault. But just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility now. To whom much is given, much is required. And now you get to make a choice. You didn't write the first few chapters of your story. But now the pen is in your hand. Stay active. It's time to write. Let's start writing. The last chapter was bad and hard. Let God use it. Find healing. Bring God into your pain. And stay active. Third one. This is how you lose your fighting eye. You don't have connections or relationships. I already started hitting on that a minute ago, but you're just alone. You got nobody. The church is all about connection and relationship and community and the Bible. We read all through the Bible. We look at the early church. Um, look at Acts 2. Acts 2, 44. The early church after Jesus died on the cross and set up this New Testament, New Covenant church. We're going to look at what that looks like, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the second stay. Remember I told you I had three stays. We'll run through these last two quickly. The first one was stay active. The second one is stay together or connected. That's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to win the fight. Just like they won the fight. Our king will lead us into victory. But we also need to be connected to each other. Connected to the body of Christ. Connected to something bigger than us. Than me and my four and no more. Stay active, stay connected. Get Acts 2. This is the early church. Acts 2, 44. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They were one. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They just sold their stuff and gave everybody that needed something. They gave them what they needed. They helped each other. They looked into each other's lives and said, hey, you hurting? Hey, you need something? Hey, y'all got groceries? Hey, but you have to be in relationship and be connected because if not, nobody knows when you're hurting. Nobody knows when an enemy is gouging your eyeball out. You didn't tell anybody. In fact, we try real hard to cover it up and put on a mask so nobody knows when we're struggling. But that's not what God's called us to do. We're supposed to be in relationship with each other. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They were all going to church. They went to church every day. And breaking bread from house to house, they did eat their meat with gladness. I usually have a lot of gladness when I'm eating meat. Glad to know that's spiritual. And singleness of heart. <laughs> Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Yeah, I bet he did. 
If that's the picture of the church that you see and that you're getting, you probably want to sign up. Why their church was growing every single day. Because that's what church is supposed to look like. That's what Christians are supposed to look like. We stay together. We stay connected. Stay focused. That's the third one. We're going to stay active. Stay together. And then we got to stay focused. We must stay focused. You know, that's what the king wanted to take was their dominant eye. Immediately, the moment you lose your dominant eye, you lose focus. You lose the ability to focus. If you figure out which one is your dominant eye and cover it up with your hand and try to focus on something with the other eye, you'll see it's very hard because you're not used to it. You just, you focus with your dominant eye. So the enemy, that king, he was trying to take away their focus because he knew that's what would make them weak. It would make them easy to push around. It'd make them easy to rule over if he could just take away their focus. We got to stay focused. Your relationships will make you or break you. As your pastor, I want to put every opportunity in front of you to not be a victim. To let you know that you are powerful and that God has set you free and Jesus paid the price and you don't have to be a slave. You are a community being. So you must stay connected. Remember Genesis 2.18, we've talked about this a lot, so I won't spend much time on it, but when God looked at Adam and everything was perfect and there was no sin had entered the world yet, and God had perfect relationship with Adam, and God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. God, he's got you. He's in perfect relationship with you. And God said, just being in relationship with me is not good enough. It is not good that he's alone. i got to create some other humans. That's crazy if you think about that. God was almost saying, I'm not enough for him. That sounds almost sacrilegious. And it's not, but God looked at him and said, man, he's got to have connections. It's not good for him to be alone, and it's not good for you to be alone. You're supposed to be in relationship. And when you're alone, you get crazy. You know that? You know, there's all kind of movies about it and all kind of stuff. Wilson! You spend too much time by yourself. You start imagining things and you form relationships with volleyballs and all kind of stuff. You start going crazy. You know, that's a punishment in prison, solitary confinement. And if you're left in there for too long, you get a little crazy. Because humans weren't created to be alone. You get crazy, you get sad, you get depressed. If you feel like you don't have any connections and relationships, isn't it amazing how when you're alone, you can just start to make stuff up in your mind. You start seeing things and hearing things. You ever come in here in the church when all the lights are out and you're by yourself? 
all of a sudden you start hearing things. Man, we've had people in here volunteering, cleaning, and called the cops before. I don't know if somebody was in here or not. They think there was. I don't know. But sometimes when you're alone, I've heard things that weren't really there. The longer you're alone, it might make you think you're crazy. You start making stuff up. Like you text your best friend and they don't answer back for 14 seconds. And you start thinking, I guess I have no friends. Nobody loves me. Nobody even cares. In fact, now that I think about it, nobody ever gets back to me. No one. I sent my mom a message last Monday. She never responded. I sent Favor a message. She never responded. I sent Journey a message, and then I questioned the message I sent to Journey, and she didn't respond. Journey's laughing because that really happened. I wasn't going crazy, though. Does anybody even know I'm here? When you are unconnected, it's not a good thing. When you are an unconnected Christian, spiritually unconnected, not a part of a church or a body or a community or in relationship like God designed it, when you're an unconnected Christian, things get distorted. Your vision gets blurry. Your vision for the future, your vision for the goal, the prize, the target, it's hard to focus. And the wind that could take your fire to the next level. You know, wind can make a fire bigger. The wind that could take your fire to the next level blows you out every time. Because you're just a candle. It is the same fire that I have on a big bonfire made out of a bunch of pallets. But if the wind blows on the big bonfire that I got going with a bunch of pallets, it gets bigger and hotter and stronger. And if the wind blows on a candle, it just blows it right out. And so a Christian that's not connected and a Christian that's not committed to church and a Christian that won't become a doer of the word and sacrifice and give and get involved and, and just make a commitment to be there, that, that Christian is like a candle. And God loves you and you're saved and you're going to heaven and you come into church and we can have a great worship service or I can preach this awesome inspirational message and it'll light a fire. You come up in here and get lit. But the problem is as soon as the wind blows, as soon as there's a storm, as soon as Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when something happens, whoosh, my fire's gone. Oh, God, I wish Sunday would hurry up and get here because I, man, I got no fire left. I need my fire. And what I'm telling you today is the relationships, God designed it so that you would be connected to a community and to a church and have relationships. That's the wood. That's the wood you're supposed to be putting on your fire to keep it stoked up and burning all week. And that's why midway through the week, we have a Wednesday night to come in here and fellowship and hang out. And what are you doing? You're throwing logs on the fire. You're keeping your fire going. 
And when you feel like your fire is starting to go out and you're just down to embers, that's when you send out some text messages or some phone calls to some people that you're in relationship with and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Or, hey, what you up to? Or Because relationships are the wood that keep your fire going throughout the week and allow it to get bigger and bigger and bigger so that 10 years from now you don't look back and say, hey, man, I I was kind of on fire for God 10 years ago and I'm about the same now. But every time something bad happens, it blows me out. Every time something bad happens, I got to find a way to get lit again. I can light your candle every Sunday. But life in the valley... Life in storms and wind and rain, it'll put it out. See, the Holy Spirit can be wind or fire. And if you're properly connected and you decide to go crazy, you decide to do something crazy, then it's going to be really hard for you to go crazy if you're properly connected. Because people are going to know. People are going to see checks and balances it's so important to connect because together we heal together we grow together we rise and we stay focused that last one is I just want you to check your focus as I close out today and think about what it is that you're focusing on Have you lost your focus? Have you lost your dominant eye? Do you feel like you're losing the fight? You need some help. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. If that's where you are. You know what happens if you lose your fighting eye? Shame. Guilt. You're living in fear. Pain. And you lose your ability to focus. Proverbs 29, 18 says where there is no vision that word vision purpose where you can't see God you can't focus on God people perish or die but he that keepeth the law happy is he that word that was translated law it's a Hebrew word and it means regulation teaching instruction he that doeth the teaching It's like training. So he that keepeth the law or he that listens to the teaching or the instructions. He that participates in the training, you could say. Happy is he. This is how you're happy. Why? Because as James would say, he's a doer of the word. So he's happy. Ephesians 1.3 the last scripture. How blessed is God? And what a blessing is He. And what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master Jesus Christ. And He takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of His love. You know, you're the focus of God's love. 
long before he even made the earth, he had you in mind and he settled on you as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. You're his focus. And in turn, he instructs us to focus back on him, to focus back on the cross, to focus back on what was done for us because that sets us up to live the kind of life of greatness that he wants us to live, to refocus. If a target is worth hitting, you must focus on it. You don't just randomly, like if I really want to try to hit a target, I'm going to focus on it. Well, how hard are you going to focus? How much are you going to practice? How hard are you going to try? It depends on how important it is to me to hit that target. Right? I mean, the dude that just left the buffet up there at Golden Corral and is stuffed full and he's going out deer hunting. He's got a freezer full at the house and a big full belly. He's probably not going to be that focused on getting a deer. He might be just looking for a trophy or whatever uh, as opposed to the guy that's going out in the woods and he's got no food. And his kids were crying because they were hungry that morning and he has no money, no food. Who you think is going to be more focused on getting a deer that day? I bet guy number two is coming back with something. Same woods, same gun. One of them is focused. Discipline. I must have it. Not just maybe I'll get it, maybe I will, maybe I'll walk in purpose, maybe I'll... Right? It's focused. How important is focus? I would say it's huge. I can say I'm focused on getting a six pack of abs, but if I'm not disciplined, I'm not really focused. It's just a wish. So you could say focus equals discipline. You have to be disciplined to focus. What happens if I get distracted? You refocus. You question yourself. Why am I focusing on all these things? You, you can refocus. You can recalibrate. When you focus on something... Everything else gets blurry. Think about that. If I'm focusing on a target, everything else around gets blurry. Everything else gets distorted. If I'm looking through a scope or I'm really focused on something, everything else is blurry. I don't see the other things around. Faith requires focus. If you lose your dominant eye, it instantly becomes very hard to focus. But focus makes distractions powerless. If I'm focused and locked in on something, then the distractions, they have no power. They can't take my attention. They can't turn me. They can't affect me because I take away their power by focusing. 
on something other than them. That's why Nahash wanted to take their dominant eyes. If the target moves, you must refocus. For some of you, you were locked in and focused a few years ago. Running hard after God. Doing what, like some of you were locked in on the target. Hitting it. But guess what? In life, sometimes the target moves. Sometimes the end is not what you thought it was going to be. It doesn't look like you thought it was going to look. Some relationships change. Things change. Life changes. Jobs change. Ministry changes. Purpose changes. So you have to refocus. Don't just stay focused on that old target because the target moved. Now you're focused on nothing. And a person focused on nothing is probably going nowhere definitely not going to hit the target some of y'all are going through life with a sawed off shotgun it's time to get a sniper rifle the shotgun's messy and it's only effective if you are very close to a situation in the middle of it in harm's way other stuff gets hit. Other people get hurt. You're reckless. You're crazy. You're... That's the shotgun mentality. A sniper is clean and effective and has great reach. You can see an issue from far away and hit it in the heart. And the people around you are safe and don't get hurt and mostly don't even know what just happened. Focus. Have you ever seen a lion trainer? The, especially the old school ones nowadays. I guess they do it different ways, but I think some of them still do it. But you ever seen how the old lion tamers would have a, a stool like this and they would hold it upside down at the lion and they would have a whip in one hand and a stool in the other hand? And somehow they would have these lions in this cage and they would just come at them with the stool and come at them with the whip. And, and for years it was a mystery of like, why do they always grab the stool and flip it upside down? Until one of the lion tamers decided that he was going to tell the trick or tell the secret. And the secret was that they found out that with the pop of the whip, that loud noise popping in the end of the whip, that and then when they'd flip over the stool, that the lion, his natural defense is to look at you and tell if you have any weapons. If there's a stick that's about to hit him or a rock or a gun or something that you're using as a weapon. So by doing this, the lion is automatically focusing on there's a weapon, there's a weapon, there's a weapon, there's a weapon. He thinks in his mind that's four different things. So I got to keep watching all four of those things. And then you're popping the whip. So that's a fifth thing that could be a danger. So now the lion's like looking at the whip, looking at the leg, looking at the whip, looking at the leg. And that's why if you notice, you watch some of those lion tamers, how they keep moving it like this. All they do is just shake it back and forth and pop that whip. And they say as long as you keep that lion from focusing on you, or focusing on one weapon because if he could just focus on say the whip in a minute his mind will convince him that he's powerful enough to overtake that weak little whip he will jump on you and he will kill you if you had one stick one 
stool leg holding it up. In a few minutes, his mind will tell him that he's strong enough to beat that one stick. But you can stand there as long as you want to with all those distractions and this giant, powerful king of the beast will be rendered powerless. Why? Because he cannot focus. Because he's distracted by everything that he does not understand. He's distracted by everything that could be a threat. He's distracted by everything that could be good. Everything that could be bad. Doesn't matter. He's powerless because he cannot focus. If you focus on the wrong thing or on too many things at once, you will lose your power and you will become a slave to whatever it is that's trying to rule over you. So we're going to stay active. We're going to stay together and stay focused. That's how we walk in freedom. That's how we be the church. How we are the church. How we, how we be it. We walk it out. Stay active. Stay together. Stay focused. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for helping us to refocus. God, thank you that you came after us. That Saul was a picture of you, the king over your people. Thank you that you came and rescued us from sin. Thank you that you gave us the ability to focus, that you restore our dominant eye. God, forgive us for giving up our freedom. Forgive us for choosing things that we know want to enslave us. And God, give us the power and the strength to ask for help. Give us the power and the strength and the wisdom to be committed and connected so that we can walk in freedom and that we can make a difference so that we can help other people. God, thank you for reminding some of us that we got to go help our brothers and sisters that have got their eyes gouged out, the ones that are ready. God, I pray for all of us that you would fix our focus. Help us to focus on the important things. Let the other things become blurry. That we would not be distracted. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.